You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. And welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, back by popular demand, for all the people that were complaining that they missed you, it's my co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. I'm so happy to be back. Are you? I am, and I'm also glad that, uh, and I really am appreciative of the people who missed me on the podcast. There was one. Just one, though. Well, that that, that may be, he may be expressing the feelings of many there may be many silent people out there who like to hear me on the podcast mm-hmm. each week. I enjoy doing it, and I did miss it, and it seemed like a long time that I was away. Well, I am glad that you're back, because it's a heavy burden to bear doing this all myself, even though I do it all myself when you're here, so... No, minute. you have to line up guests, yeah. and you've got to phone people. You've got to get their, you know, their time and everything lined up with your schedule. With, schedule. with me, you can just give me orders, and I'll probably yeah, comply. I, I tell you when you have to be here. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I have a lot to talk about with you because you were away, and you missed a huge announcement from the provincial government. Well, I was contacted about the huge announcement, and I was totally not prepared to be able to discuss it. So I told whatever radio station it was to call you. So hopefully they did. Probably not. Maybe I don't even know what what the what was the what if we're talking about the same thing. Are we talking about the same thing. I'm talking about the increase to the fine for unsafe opening a door in a motor vehicle mm-hmm. from eighty one dollars, which was too low, to three hundred and sixty eight dollars, four times as much. the The biggest problem with that, okay, it's a lot of money, right? It's a lot of money. They hand out some of those tickets every year. It's an offense that uh, a few people cause every year, uh, and it's it's a problem. Uh, but it is that is so disconnected with the other offenses in the Motor Vehicle Act. Yeah. I mean, like, <sighs> so $368 fine you can get for excessive speeding. You can get it for driving without due care and attention. You can get it That's for... That's a sixth demerit ticket. A six-point ticket, yep. Excessive speeding is a high-risk offense. Um, you can get it for using an electronic device while driving. Mm-hmm. Also a high-risk offense with four points. There are zero points for unsafe opening a door. Well, you're not moving your vehicle at the point. Is that yeah, the reason? Yeah, but there's lots of things no... that you can be ticketed for that have points that don't involve moving a vehicle. Anyway, 368. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do they justify that? How do they justify that? That's my question well, to you. Well, their justification is about the, it's very, very dangerous. And while it is dangerous, it's inherent, unsafe opening a door, just because the I, maneuver is dangerous doesn't mean it justifies the second highest fine you can get in the Motor Vehicle Act. Okay. I didn't get a chance to think about this or talk about it. What about running a stop sign? Well, that's $109 and two points. That is real danger. Like, that is real danger. You can hit a pedestrian walking. You can hit somebody on a motorcycle you don't see. I mean, the whole idea of stopping Mm -hmm. is that you stop and you have Mm -hmm. a second to gather your thoughts, Mm -hmm. gather your an idea of your space around you before you continue. Red light, three points, $167. Yellow light, three points, $167. Intersection collisions, Paul, 
I looked this up on ICBC's data when I saw the fine increase because I thought, this is insane. Intersection collisions account for about 161,000 collisions in British Columbia a year. There's your, there's your dumpster of, fire. That's a fuck ton of collisions. <laughs> there's, your, there's your ICBC dumpster yeah. fire. And cyclists are involved in 2,500 collisions a year roughly. Now I know not all unsafe opening a door involves a cyclist because you have people who unsafely open their doors into things causing damage or into traffic and get their door or their arm or their door and their arm or their mirror taken off. There's lots of incidents of unsafe door opening, but we commonly think about it in the context of dooring cyclists. But I mean, cyclists being in accidents, that cannot be the number one cyclist accident. It's probably intersection. It's 15% of all collisions involving cyclists are estimated to be involving dooring. So we're talking a few hundred. Like 390-something tickets a year, or, or incidents a year, of dooring where a cyclist, cyclist is injured or killed. Weigh that against stop signs, red lights, yellow collisions. lights, intersection collisions, where you're looking at under $200 for a fine. Yeah. You know, and it's, two demerits. it's not I've, illegal in British Columbia to change lanes in an intersection. It's only illegal to unsafely change lanes. And yet, that ticket? $167 fine. You know, I'm often surprised. Like, the police are always out there. And the, the advocates uh, who are anti-driving sort of advocates are always out there freaked out about excessive speeding. And they're never freaked out about the red lights and the police never put in you know they they they'll, they'll put police officers on a bus for a photo uh, op um for a, a press release about uh, investigating electronic device usage which they just lump together as distracted driving yeah uh but they will never have an ad campaign about running red lights is killing people in BC running red lights is causing 161,000 accidents whatever well, it's not causing that many, but, but it's probably a, lot. I bet a it's, third. I bet it's at least a third. So, oh. um, is causing fifty-three thousand accidents in BC every year. It's far more dangerous than texting while driving. It kills more people than texting while driving. But boy, oh boy, you never hear them talk about it. Well, of course, it's not, not very sexy. No. And police officers, you know, rightly complain that when they issue those tickets that they they can be hard to enforce and much harder to enforce that or much harder to uphold that in court than on an electronic device where you've got somebody and you can see that they're flipping through their you Instagram. Think, you think an unsafe door opening is going to be easy to uphold in court? If they're issuing the ticket after an accident with a cyclist, chances are they didn't see it happen, which means the cyclist is going to have to come to court and testify. You and I know how often civilian witnesses show up for traffic tickets and then it's probably if they 60 do, it's probably 60 percent of the time it's not the, it's not unheard of the rare occasions where they do witness it and they've got all of that um in front of them are going to be those incidents where yeah, maybe it was safe maybe you know the car that the unsafe door opening door hit was coming up too fast right there's lots of you know, your mirror doesn't give you an accurate perception of, of what's behind you. So there's lots of explanations that a driver could give. Not like, you had your phone in your hand, you had your phone in your hand. Well, if you're in a truck and the cyclist is right behind you coming up and then, you know, does the zigzag out to go around you and you go to open your door, this is you don't thing. have enough time to make that decision. So there's there are defenses to that. Yeah. Certainly, even when I it's a cyclist. I had a cyclist throw her bike at me one day. 
because I turned down the alley by the office and I shoulder checked before I made my turn and I saw the cyclist coming. She was on the other side of Robson Street and there was a red light. So she was going to stop for the red light so I could make my turn. She didn't stop for the red light. And as you know, that part of BB Street is a bit of a decline. So yes. she came up super fast. And I guess I came close to hitting her while I was already in my turn. And she was mad that I didn't look. Bitch, you ran a red light. Yep. And then she tried to give me the, I don't have to stop. Well, that's a particular concern. That yeah. Yeah, actually, we, bitch, We see with do. cyclists. And I, of course, have my electric bike. And the funny thing is, in my electric bike, I, I have no... Um, there's nothing to deter me from stopping. Like it starts so easily, and it's so relatively easy to pedal compared to a uh, compared to your standard old mechanical, uh, you know, boring bike with just a chain going back to the back wheel. I can understand why you know the motivation to not stop for those people with my electric bike. I am motivated to stop, and I actually stop at stop signs, and I'm the only guy. And people will go whizzing past me. Mm-hmm. Or they pull up and they're like wondering, why did he stop? He said, what's the threat? Is there a, an ambulance coming down the road that I didn't see? But I can tell you, I have nightmares still from a time that somebody opened their door in front of me on my bike back in Edmonton. And I came so close to plowing into their door. Uh, and I stopped and, and hit their door panel with the front wheel. Well, there you go. So, that happened. Well, you were gone. Now, was that the thing that you said that you were contacted about, but not equipped to speak about? Yes. And I want to know, are the people of British Columbia up in arms over it? No. Why not? Well, yes. I, I appeared on the Mike Smith show to talk about it. Um, and there was a call-in segment and I thought, oh gosh, here it comes. All the cycling people saying about how I don't value cyclist lives. If they had enough time to line up their calls, they would have. Yeah, well, the calls that I got were mostly people thinking that it was ridiculous and way too high. And if compared to all of those other super dangerous things, like a speeding ticket, which is only $138, it made no sense. I'm surprised that the uh, that the fines for speeding, uh, excessive speeding, uh, drive without due care and attention, uh, drive without reasonable consideration for others, I'm surprised that those haven't gone up more in the last while, because it seems like it's been most of my legal career, it's been the same price. Same fine. Right. Okay. So, moving on. You and I were involved in an interesting Twitter discussion. Were we? Yes. About we lots of Twitter discussions. Powers in the Wildlife Act. Oh, 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 oh yes. This is a good one. Yeah. So, conservation officers have powers given to them in the Wildlife Act. Section 95. To conduct traffic stops. And to basically do all the same things that a peace officer can do as far as stopping a vehicle, at requesting a license, asking the driver state the name and address. But they have one additional power that you thought was particularly interesting. Yeah, it's a freaky power. I don't have it open there, so you can probably, um, you might have it open to be able to tell me what it was. It's, Essentially, um, they have the power to question you section about 95. Your, um, your hunting whether you've been hunting and, and what you can do. So it says, an officer may, for the purposes of this act, stop a motor vehicle, private, blah, or chartered aircraft, blah, 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 to obtain information about wildlife or game fish possessed by them. And then you commit an offense if you fail to stop, fail to identify yourself, refuse to give information respecting hunting or fishing, 
or being the driver of the vehicle, refuse or neglects to stop the vehicle when signaled to do so. So very similar to Section 73 of the Motor Vehicle Act. With that additional... Refuse to give information respecting hunting or fishing. Yeah. So, and what's... what? That's so broad. Like, think about the br- breadth of that. Information. So that's an offense. Anything. That's an offense. What information refuse. is contemplated by that? Every know. detail about your hunting and fishing activities, or just that you were hunting or fishing? No, it doesn't. It's, it's beyond that. It certainly goes, it's to provide information. So I would assume that it's the information that is solicited by the question. So that there is um, highly problematic. It's incredibly problematic. And you got involved in a bit of a discussion about whether that's actually lawful on Twitter. Yeah, and my you know first thing was, obviously this violates the, the right to silence and that you are detained uh it's a statutorily compelled statement that is used to incriminate you it's not even used for reasonable and probable grounds it's used to incriminate you and uh it's not it's 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 unlawful it's uh, would be struck down if there was a charter challenge and someone sent me a case saying well uh, the, you know the court took a different view and this I went and read the decisions Regina and Rice at the yeah, Court of Appeal 2009 decision from the BC Court of Appeal and uh, the uh, constitutional validity of the that section of the legislation was not challenged. And in fact, the court says right off the top um, that it wasn't challenged. And moreover, that actually does not end up being the, uh, the issue in the case in any event. Um, there's admissions that are made, but it's not really directly dealing with that section. So paragraph three, this is no challenge to the constitutionality of section 95 is advanced. Which is really the important issue, right? Because you can't put a compulsion in law to provide information to police unless that compulsion comes with use immunity. Yeah. I mean, we're a a society governed by the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and, and Part of your charter rights is the right to silence, and this thing con- conflicts directly with the right to silence. Yep. Uh, and it's uh, and it's asking you to provide evidence to be used for the purpose of prosecuting you. And at a point in time where you haven't had the opportunity to contact counsel, right? I mean, this this act is meant to be uh, administered in wildlife and fishing offenses, so it had to be within the contemplation of the legislature that at the time people are going to be stopped by conservation officers and subject to this questioning. They may be out on remote roads in areas where there isn't cell phone reception, where they can't just pick up the phone and call a lawyer and ask for legal advice about what they have to provide and don't have to provide. Are you going to detain somebody and drive them five hours back to uh, to to a detachment so they can exercise their right to counsel and you can take them into an interview room, which is really an interrogation room, but they call it an interview room, and then But then, Paul, they're no longer you. the driver of a motor vehicle or vessel or aircraft, etc. So they're no longer compelled to... So they're no longer <laughs> obligated to answer questions. It's too but remote also, from driving. What a weird, like, what a weird distinction that your obligation to answer flows from operating some sort of a conveyance. Like, if you're walking down the street... You can't be compelled to do those things. You're pushing a wheelbarrow with a with a deer in it. Yeah, <laughs> you're, it's you're like not an arti- a, artificial distinction. You're not. I don't think you're operating a conveyance in that circumstance. Maybe you are because the pool noodle is a conveyance, but it's not referring to a conveyance. But a wheelbarrow isn't a conveyance. I, I don't think they're referring to conveyance. I don't think that's imported yet into that legislation. Maybe it is. I don't know. 
No, what they're what they're do what they're concerned about in section ninety five, the words that they they have are I just scrolled away from it, sorry. Um a motor vehicle, private or chartered aircraft, or boat, or other vehicle. And I guess then the question would be what's the definition of vehicle, but I think Red River Cart. <laughs> well, then they're infringing on my indigenous rights. Interestingly, fur trader is something that's defined in the Wildlife Act still. Um, vehicle isn't defined in the Act, so you'd probably look to other definitions of vehicle and then you'd end up basically with a motor vehicle situation. But in any event, the issue is that it's uh, glaringly to me unconstitutional, but nobody appears to have been in that position to fight it. And you can see that, you know, what they're trying to do, again, what they're trying to do is keep you from having to go back to the detachment. Well, but at the same time, does that, you know, allow them then to violate your charter rights? Use an un un unconstitutional piece of legislation. Like, can you imagine somebody being actually ticketed for not providing the information and charged under the Wildlife Act? Like, who's going to be enthusiastic about prosecuting that? Well, I mean, the officer might be the one prosecuting it. I don't know if they, most of the time, I think they get a prosecutor. And I have defended a bunch of Wildlife Act things, and every time it was a prosecutor. So any prosecutor looking at it would probably say to themselves, uh, I don't have a really good reason. And I bet if you filed your charter challenge, they would probably just drop it. So that's probably why it's never been challenged, because they never wanted, you know, the prosecution has looked at it every time and said, we're not going to proceed in, in the case that people are filing a charter challenge. Which brings up an important point. You know, we have all of these laws on the books that are probably unconstitutional. I mean, this isn't the first example of it that we've talked about. We've also seen, like, the excessive noise provisions just generally in the in the Motor Vehicle Act. Lots of other laws. Um, even I've had cases causing a disturbance under the criminal code where my client's just shouting and the prosecution drops it when I raise a constitutional issue. Because you can shout, there's no, there can't be a law against shouting, it's expression. Um, but, no, I there know. you go. There's a bunch of laws that are probably but, unconstitutional, never get challenged, never get because challenged, the prosecution will drop it if you, if you mount the challenge. But this is the problem. You have people who are self-represented, people who are represented perhaps by legal clinics or organizations that don't have the funding to do challenges and therefore don't mount them. You have people who are represented um, by counsel who just don't think of the idea of doing the challenge, right? It might not occur to everybody. As a lawyer, you might not have resources. And you have clients who hire lawyers who don't have the resources to fund those challenges and the lawyers aren't in a position to do it pro bono. And people are being convicted, therefore, under laws that are probably unconstitutional, but aren't being challenged. And it creates this horrible thing. And this is like a, co a common thing in our justice system, this horrible thing where you, if you have means, then you get a better defense than if you don't. How many times have you been in court and seen somebody about to plead guilty before your trial is going to start or your lengthy sentencing or something like that? And you hear the facts and you're sitting there thinking, oh my God, that person should not be pleading guilty. They shouldn't plead guilty. And of course, the judge is going to accept it most of the time. It's literally every guilty plea I've sat through for an impaired when I've been in court. Just well, going, exactly. why? I've jumped up and stopped people from pleading guilty. Then they've hired me and then I've succeeded in defending them. Um, 
And it I believe me that was to, all in one day in one case. <laughs> in some cases. But they, yes, there have been cases where I turned it around right there by talking to the person outside, then going back in, sorting it out with the prosecutor and coming up with something better. Or get, and I have also got it dropped. That's true in those same circumstances. But I made these, you know, the videos that we've got. We've got a bunch of videos with frequently asked questions. One of the frequently asked questions that I noticed has got lots of views in a very short period of time was, I'm guilty, should I plead guilty? And you think of these people who are charged with like this offense where it's, you know, the, the it's unconstitutional and, you know, that your, your evidence may have been obtained illegally or so many other things where like, like your, 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 uh, what was it, uh, causing a disturbance mm -hmm. where they wouldn't drop it. You, you shouldn't think of yourself as guilty because it shouldn't be a crime what you did. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that you did it. Oh, I did it. Yeah. I was outside screaming. I was, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm mad as heck and I don't want to. I'm mad as heck and I don't want to take it anymore. Uh, the uh, I guess I'm guilty. I'm the old man yelling at a cloud. I know <laughs> you are the old man yelling at a cloud. Anywho, um, and you know those people go plead guilty in those circumstances. Well, that's the reason to watch my video to explain why you shouldn't go. Just I'm, I'm I did it. I should just go plead guilty. Well, don't just go plead guilty. Talk to a lawyer. Anyway, it's a very interesting issue, and driving law intersecting with wildlife law. Well, and it's, you know, hunting season is upon us, or coming anyway. Is it? When is hunting season? It's autumn. When, for, it depends on what you're hunting. Oh, okay. Hunting moose, I assume, is an autumn thing. Sure. I don't know. I wouldn't know. Um, all I know is that... I'm not a hunter, so all I know is that, you know, we have the family cabin, and if the windows ever get shot out, it's usually in September or October by hunters across the river. It's a interesting issue, and if you do get a ticket for it, because it is related to something you can do wrong in a car, I would be interested in defending you. Well, it's driving law. It's driving, driving law, law with Kyla Lee. There's yep. so many things in driving law. That drive the law. Yeah. Um, now, I did a little bit of foreshadowing oh. when we were just talking about unconstitutional things, because I mentioned excessive noise. Ah, yes. Well, this is one of those things. So Kyla has these, these bees in her bonnet, these things that she's going to do if the file comes into the office, and I assume this is one of them. No. Okay. I mean, this is a, there is a bee in my bonnet about this provision, but what I wanted to talk about was an interesting ruling from the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner that came recently. Um, I read about this on Facebook from somebody who is part of a car automotive community had been ticketed for excessive noise. And the issue was what Vancouver police are doing, and I think we've mentioned this before on the podcast, is they go around, they find these nice vehicles, usually, you know, Porsches and Maseratis and McLarens, and they pull them over and they say, your vehicle's making too much noise for the road. It's, it's excessive noise, and we're going to measure it with a decibel meter. And the purpose of measuring it with the decibel meter is to find out how loud the vehicle is so that they can then articulate that in court and also compare it to the Motor Vehicle Act regulations because there's a separate offense in the Motor Vehicle Act regulations for having noise above a certain level. You're staring at me strange. No, I'm nodding. Oh, okay. Um, I, I touched my chin thoughtfully. Oh, okay. Ah, that's what that was. <laughs> I'm not used to you being thoughtful, I guess. <laughs> oh, thanks, Kyle. Um, so, 
when VPD officers measure the sound, what they do is they just do it at the roadside, where you have ambient noise from passing vehicles and wind, etc. And they ask the driver to get into the driver's seat and start revving the engine, <laughs> compelling you to provide yes. information. Yes. Um, compelling you to provide and evidence. They, they hold it. Forcing you to participate in the in the production of evidence that's then going to be used against you. And they hold it down near the rear wheel where the exhaust is and measure the noise coming from there. Distance from the pipe. Mm -hmm. Distance angle from the pipe. Mm -hmm. um, reflecting off the ground, reflecting off the nearby building, reflecting off the officer. So this is a very interesting issue because the Motor Vehicle Act regulations say that when tested using ISO standards in an approved facility, your vehicle cannot exceed these numbers of decibels. Yes. But VPD have not been using an approved facility because I don't think anyone exists anymore since they got rid of the air care centers. I don't know that they were approved for that purpose. I think they probably were. They might have had one or two that were bays that were approved for that purpose. Who knows? Um, but also, they haven't been adhering to any of ISO's standards. None. None, which include for luxury vehicles. Talk about how certain types of vehicles, like Porsches and McLarens, because of the structure of the engine and other stuff, will actually appear to be louder on these decibel meters because it's measuring things besides just what's coming out of the exhaust. They're just fucking loud. And, you know, True. the guys on the Harleys and the revving their engines and stuff, it drives me crazy. I wish there was some real realistic fair objective measure that they could apply that it was a smart more smartly written piece of legislation but yeah they're 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 not doing it right and you and i have never felt that they were doing it right and i i guess it was when was it summertime last year it was a bit of a news story and we kept mm -hmm. getting calls from uh ctv and that and they wanted to come down to the office because we've got a decimal uh uh decibel meter in my desk drawer. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> of course we do. But um, the uh, just so we could show it. And, uh, of course, we talked to your guest from one of these previous weeks, Grant Gokatro, about this before, and he's had concerns with it, too. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, then, you know, it comes and it goes. It seems to come and go with the seasons, and it comes and goes with VPD doing enforcement. Yeah, so VPD but, training. They have an enforcement problem now. Found to be lacking, yeah. So what are they going to do? They're going to have to retrain the officers, obviously. Hands, hands behind their backs now, tied behind their backs. You can go out there and make all the noise you want right now because there's nobody to enforce it. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. No. Don't go make all the noise you want because if it's clear that you're just intentionally being noisy, you can still be ticketed. I think there's other things you could probably be charged with. Mm-hmm. It's, is like it, is it showing, causing a disturbance. Is it showing reasonable consideration for other others? Well, this is the thing. Like, I think you could probably take it under that. Yeah, I've always thought that too. Because you're not showing reasonable consideration for pedestrians. Nope. Uh, and they are other uh, road users. Now, speaking of things that we've talked about before, on which there have been developments, interesting development on the whole electronic device Tesla smart screen uh -huh. issue out of Germany. Yes. Well, it's it's uh it's old, but it's only got reported recently in uh, Auto, Motor und Sport uh, 
magazine. Uh, I speak German, and I know that means uh, automotive sport well, magazine. Well, I think it means automotoring sport, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they're talking about the screen um, of a Tesla, and they're saying, you know, even though that it's firmly fixed in the vehicle, um, it is still considered an electronic device and this was a circumstance where an individual was trying to operate his wipers, wipers. using the screen um the central bildschirm which is the central screen and he uh, then caused an accident and he was sued and was fined and the court found that the screen in the tesla is an electronic device for the purpose of their legislation and the reason why was because it's like an infotainment system rather than just a, a vehicle safety control panel. So that's interesting because your car stereo is an infotainment system mm -hmm. uh, and an electronic device. In Germany, I guess, yes. Yes. Um, of course, in British Columbia, we've got an exemption there. But mm -hmm. uh, this is a, an ongoing Thing that everybody points out the hypocrisy of so hypocritical you know i've i've looked at my cell phone for just a second uh to check the time and i'm in a you know 1974 toyota tercel there's no other electronic stuff there and there's no there's no clock mm -hmm. uh and uh here you know beside me is a uh, new dodge pickup truck with apple play uh, you know, with all sorts of things going on on the screen. And I've had lots of rental cars with all of these things on the screen and they're distracting. I mean, you, you look at it and your, your mind gets sucked into that screen very easily. And here we are talking about the dangers of electronic devices, distracted driving. It's distracted driving. They it's talk very about, bad. they talk about distracted driving. $368 fine. It's as bad as Doring. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about distracted driving. Of course, distracted driving. They never mention the fact that there's you know, more accidents caused probably by people rubbernecking, looking at accidents than they're being distracted then. Mm -hmm. uh, and they uh, then they suggest to you that it's a result of cell phones when, in fact, there's screens in these cars. And Somebody. Gigantic screens in cars. Totally dangerous. And so many people have complained every time there's been an electronic device story in the news. There's always somebody who tags me on Twitter and says, Kyla, what about the giant screens in Teslas? I know. If you're on with Mike Smith, yeah. it's the same thing. Everybody's phoning up. The Teslas, the Teslas have a gigantic Teslas. screen. The, People... this, my, my car's got this huge screen in it, and I just looked at my cell phone for just a minute. Well, I mean, of course, your car has Bluetooth, too. Yeah. You could have just been using that, but... Um, but yeah, there's people always phoning in about it. And, and they have a point. I mean, it's a completely legitimate point. Oh, yeah, I'm with them. The screen in a Tesla is like the size of a TV. It's huge in the middle of the dash. I think, I think it's bigger than my TV at home. I have a pretty small TV. I don't own a TV. I don't know what TVs look like anymore. I haven't had a TV in 30 years. Um, but um, isn't that weird? I know it's weird. It's just, you know, there's like a, a group of people who don't have TVs who are all uppity about it. Well, you kind of get a little uppity. I haven't had a TV for 30 years. Oh. I just read my copies of The New Yorker by a fire with a pipe on a bearskin rock in a wingback chair and a robe. And, That's a, and a brandy. <laughs> yes, and a snifter of brandy. As is my want. <laughs> um... <laughs> 
the exactly. uh yeah no i mean i couldn't afford a tv that was the reason i didn't have one and then i realized it, i was more productive without it but i miss all those cultural references that you have because you somehow managed to get so much done and still watch tv and still suck up tv like it's the bottom but of you it. work while you're watching tv yeah yeah i usually have tv on like if i'm working at home i've got tv on in the background um so there you go. You if could, it's completely silent, I start hearing people talking in the so street. So you should be able to watch TV on your Tesla screen while you're working and driving. I think I would be a better driver because I would be less worried about the work I'm not getting done. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that was funny, and I don't really know how German Tesla drivers are going to handle that one. What are you going to do? You're going to make they probably sell some nice piece of retro, some fabric. That fits over it or something. Like yeah, that. but you've got to like refer 15 people to buy a Tesla before you're eligible to purchase it. Could be, but I don't think, I think it'll be an aftermarket Tesla thing. Look at this lovely fabric you can get with the Tesla logo <laughs> yeah, emblazoned upon it. You should it to get one that says, lawyer screen. told me not to talk to you. We should. And uh, I, by the time that this is playing, I suspect that we are totally out of masks because we were, uh, we're down to almost nothing now. And uh, I've used my mask a lot in the last little while. And you've written uh, some um, blog posts about um, masks and getting pulled over and impaired yep. driving investigations. Yep. And you were away. I already talked with Grant last week about that. So. I know. And I've been thinking about that and I'm not sure that I agree with your conclusion. So I think we should discuss that at some point. It doesn't have to be this week. It can't be this week, Paul, because all we've got left time for is your favorite part of the week. It is. The ridiculous driver of the week. Woohoo! <laughs> Ridiculous driver of the week. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this week we have a guy whose IRP caused a forest fire. Right on. Yeah. Not right on. Actually, I mean, that's pretty forest awful. fires are bad. Yeah. Bad. No, but I mean, lots of times forest fires have been started by cars many times, and usually it's unintentional. I was driving up from uh, Princeton and the hill. You know how the big hill after you're driving out of Princeton. Back toward, uh, back toward, you're on the Crow's oh, Nest yeah, Pass, yeah, yeah, back yeah. toward uh, Headley and uh, those back toward Vancouver. And there's a big, big hill and there was a um, motorhome uh, pulled over in front of me. I could see it up the hill and then it burst into flames as I was driving past it and it started a huge fire. Oh, yeah. Um, and burnt for days, the gigantic forest fire. So what happened in this case? In this case, a man in his 40s was driving in Lytton. And may or may not have had something to drink, according to evidence that was gathered later, uh, crashes his car into a telephone pole. And the sparks from the crash hit the dry litten brush, which quickly ignited and a forest fire started. You could, I'm always amazed that there are not more forest fires around Lytton. There's not a lot of forest like around Lytton. Often but... on News 1130, they always do like the hot spot in BC, the hottest place in BC and the hottest place in Canada. And it's often Lytton, Ashcroft, Lillooet. It's usually Lytton, Lillooet, or Soyuz are the hot spots. Um, and sometimes it's in Ontario, but very often it's... And, and I've never understood why. Yeah. You know, a Soyuz is a long way from... Uh, and it's from like on Lillouette. a lake. Yeah. And it's Ashcroft sometimes. I know yeah. because one day it was Ashcroft and I was like, ah. It was Ashcroft. Yeah. 
anyway, I know Cache Creek has been sometimes too, but mm-hmm. the uh, it's it's usually uh, Lillooet and uh, Asoyas who are fighting for the uh, hottest spot in BC. So it's tinder, tinder dry there. Mm-hmm. So this car causes a, a wildfire, and the driver decides, well, I'm not going to be responsible for that, and rips off. But the police caught him, gave him a breath test, and he failed. And he got a 90-day roadside prohibition. Oh, well, and caused some damage. And caused, yeah. Um, there was some... Um, There's good news, though. They got the fire out? They Yes, some farmers saw the fire and managed to control it until it could be put out. Good. Hopefully it didn't do a lot of damage. Because people need to remember that uh, you can be on the hook for the damage that you cause if you mm-hmm. start a forest fire. And that is one of the... Uh, probably most frightening things because even your personal liability insurance from your house if it does cover it uh, is probably got a cap on how much it covers so yeah well be I'm careful sure. out there don't throw cigarette butts it's now bone dry in bc don't uh, do everything you can to not start a forest fire this might actually be like a case where icbc would try and use an irp to breach somebody if they didn't want to be on the hook for the cost of that wildfire yeah because that would be damage directly resulting from the accident and Am I incorrect, or BC Wildfire Service will try and recoup their wildfire fighting costs from people who are found to have been responsible for starting a wildfire? I don't know. I just know when, uh, I think the Barrier Fire, which uh, was got to be at least 15 years ago now, um, was started, and it was an accident, and it was a, we knew, they knew who it was, or they had a pretty good idea who it was, and there was a... Uh, discussion about the liability of that person at that time but i don't remember if they considered the firefighting costs as well or if it was just property damage that resulted from it because if the firefighting costs then it's a lot well the property damage you burned down a few buildings yeah that's true I mean, I, 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 few hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of timber yeah a few buildings in Lytton even is still a couple hundred grand you're you're assuming a pretty cheap building in Lytton. they've got some some high-end places there. There's yeah. the Lytton Hyatt. The Lytton Fairmont. Oh, yeah. I always stay <laughs> at the Lytton Four Seasons. Lytton Towers. Yeah. <laughs> I like Lytton, so I'm not digging at Lytton. No, I I'm just love saying. love all of those towns. If you want to buy a house in Lytton, it's probably between one hundred and three hundred thousand. Well, they're reasonably priced because of the electricity cost for the air conditioning. That's why people don't want to live there. $600 a month to air condition your home. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, don't be our ridiculous driver of the week. If you get in an accident, you are legally obligated to remain at the scene, even if you cause a wildfire. And in fact, you are obligated under law to provide all reasonable assistance. But we're talking property damage here. You're still obligated to render reasonable assistance if you are in an accident involving property. Yes, so if you start a wildfire, you're required to, like, do something about it. Hmm. Yeah, empty your water bottle on it. Call 911. Are you going to go run around when there's live wires down? 911 on your cell phone? Mm-hmm. Yes. Indeed. There's mm-hmm. that. Okay. Or shout fire. But isn't that just incriminating yourself? At that point, shouldn't that be a violation of your charter rights? Because you'd be phoning and saying, you Well, know, in fact, that type of stuff has been codified as not being admissible in a criminal trial against you. Woohoo! So, yeah, they dealt with that. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. 
that's our podcast. It's been great to have you back, sort of. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> I don't know why I come on with all this abuse that I get, but it's for, I guess for I'm accustomed to being abused. So. Entertainment. It's because earlier this week you suggested that we add lots of sound effects to the podcast. Well, I wanted a horn, like a, you know, yeah. a, an ooga horn. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. So you're being punished for your bad ideas. Okay, sure. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll take it. All right. If you need to get in touch with us, you can find us online, VancouverCriminalLaw.com, or give us a call, 604-685-8889, and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. Ooga. Ooga.